We abuse land because we regard it as a commodity belonging to us. When we see land as a community to which we belong, we may begin to use it with love and respect. My name is Stuart Richardson. Landscapes of Consciousness will highlight those who fight to protect the land, a sharing of hopeful visions and stories that bring us back to the land, a place that heals and replenishes us in a world that is in rapid transition. My hope is that we come to know we are a single whole with each other and nature, that when we hurt nature, we are hurting ourselves. Thanks for tuning in. Online, I have Port Moody City Councilor Hunter Manson. Hunter has an MA and PhD degrees from the uh, field of government from Harvard University, where he taught for two years. And he spent most of the, his business life in Silicon Valley. Hey, welcome to the show, Hunter. Uh, thanks, Stuart. I'm glad to be here. Now, you started the Burt Flynn Park Group and was responsible for one of the biggest ever rallies at City Hall in June of 2016. With passionate park supporters present as Port Moody City Council debated a motion by Councillor Rob Vagamoff to permanently remove the right-of-way through Burt Flynn Park. So just for our listeners who might not be aware of the park, can you talk about the intrinsic value of uh, Burt Flynn Park and your motivations to protect it? Sure. Um, Birchland Park uh, is an unusual asset for the city of Port Moody. It's uh, about 311 acres, uh, which is makes it uh, the the largest um, urban park of the city. And what's interesting about it is that it's a natural park, meaning uh, it's not the sort of park that has uh, manicured lawns and outhouses and picnic tables, uh, where the focus is really on the people. It's the kind of park uh, which is a nature getaway. It's relatively pristine where people who want to, 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 to step away from the, sort of the, the challenges and pressures of their daily life and go have a quiet, serene nature experience. It's a place where they can go. And it's, it's a, a park that is surrounded by five different communities. And it's unusual, therefore, that these five neighborhoods all enable walk-in into a nature park. That's something you don't get even in British Columbia very often in a city of this size. So it's a, it's an appealing park, not only for users, uh, you know, not, not only for, for nature hikers and walkers. Uh, it has fabulous um, mountain bike uh, trails that are used in competition. Um, trail runners use it. Um, moms and dads with baby strollers use part of it. Uh, there's a an off-leash dog walking area, which is heavily used by people. Um, and the ecosystem there is just large enough. It, it's not so large that you can you can divide it up with a a roadway that goes through the heart of it. And that's why that's why I got involved to make sure that didn't happen. But it's it's large enough so that there are uh, there are black bear there, there are cougar there, um, bobcat. Uh, you know, deer, and uh, they're even endangered, or I should say uh, sort of species at risk, like the, uh, the red-legged uh, western frog. And I guess uh, there's some other species there um, that is also considered to be at risk. So there's a lot going on in this beautiful little uh, corner of Port Moody. And, you know, the reason I got involved was um, I live fairly close to the park, I started to use it myself when I moved to the city and uh, fell in love with it. And when I heard that they were going to, uh, that there was a right-of-way that bisected the park right through the middle of it from one side to the other and could potentially be turned into a 
a high-traffic corridor attached to a, an auto bridge that would go practically over the head of the Mossam uh, Creek salmon hatchery, I started to become concerned. So I, um, I simply, <laughs> I walked around. I, this is not a very conscious or deliberate um, campaign, but I walked around one day um, posting little 8 by 11 sheets of paper with thumbtacks to certain trees through the forest uh, next to the trail saying, you know, if, if you like this beautiful spot, I just want you to know that there is serious talk about a developer uh, putting a high traffic corridor right through the middle of this area. And if that bothers you, you know, come join me and other concerned people at a, um, a rally just before a, a critical council meeting um, at City Hall. So that's how it all got started back in uh, 2016. Now, it's quite a story. It could have kind of exploded, actually. I believe that you were elected in the by-election because of this, and then you were recently re-elected. Uh, the whole council has kind of changed. We have a new mayor, Rob Vagramoff, who's actually the youngest mayor in Canada. So uh, talk to me. Were you surprised at the amount of um, public, I guess, public feedback and, and the what happened later in council? Uh, well, I was initially quite surprised. People asked me, when I was putting these little sheets up and, and people asked, in fact, the press asked me, how many people do you expect at this rally? And I had no idea. Um, I said, well, I don't know, maybe 20, 50. Uh, and uh, uh, so I was uh, gratified, of course, and surprised to find uh, several hundred. I think Global uh, told me that their estimate was between three and 400 folks, which was some sort of record. Uh, out in front of the council meeting. Um, and that just was the beginning. Um, at that point, I, I put a, a petition online uh, for people who, primarily for people who lived in the Tri-Cities who used the park. Um, and we very quickly um, got something north of 2,000 uh, locals, two-thirds of them from Port Moody, uh, signing on saying, look, we really don't want a road to this park. We want the community to think about other ways to improve the transportation grid in the North Shore without damaging this gem. Um, and, you know, so at that point, I understood there was huge uh, support for the park, and not just the park, but for the green values that sort of were behind concern for the park and, and, and you know, leaving this kind of um, special asset to future generations. And, you know, and then, of course, uh, as it came up, uh, that um, Rick Glumack uh, ran for for MLA of the area and recommended to me that I run to to, to replace him to fill his seat. Um, I did that in the special by-election, and that was another signal, as you say, um, that the community had strong strongly supported uh, the issues that were important to me and to Rick. And um, you know, in that by-election, it was pretty much a landslide. Um, and then, of course, we we went on to the general municipal election a year later, in which um, I, I got the most votes, in fact, more than either mayoral candidate. And I don't think that has anything to do with my personal charm <laughs> or even people knowing me that well. But they knew the issues that I stood for. And this was a kind of litmus test of uh, the public sentiment on the issues about protecting green spaces for the future. Quite often I find developers come into a community and there's little public input because people just feel like they're going to have their way. 
And yet, when often when those communities stand up to protect their neighborhoods, to protect their environments, Hunter, they're called NIMBYs. How would you respond to that kind of criticism that it's just, you guys are just acting like NIMBYs? Yeah. Well, it's actually a great question for a couple of reasons. Um, one reason I, I did get involved initially is that I would, when I was talking to people who liked the park, when I was running into people in the park and saying, hey, have you heard about this, this uh, pending development proposal for a project on the far side of the park, which would basically require that we put um, a busy roadway through the middle of this nature um, getaway. They would say, yeah, I heard something about it. I think it's awful. I don't want it, but it's developers. And what can you do? They always get what they want. It was that kind of sort of uh, fatalism that ticked me off. <laughs> and and um, I said, well, the reason why developers always get what they want is that the public doesn't stand up and get itself heard. And so I, I at least wanted you know, to give the community a chance to stand up and speak if they cared about this. So now to, to, to the park lovers being called NIMBYs, NIMBYism, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, not in my backyard, uh, is a stance of selfishness um, when there's a public good that the wider community needs um, that people don't want in their backyard or it might personally inconvenience them or, or hurt the property values. Um, the people who are using this park and defending it are not really properly described as NIMBYs. Yes, it's a park they care about. In that sense, they're, they're stepping up to protect it for future generations. But their interest really is the communal interest. Um, you know, there are other people who want the road through the park, mainly uh, so to relieve, uh, they think, road congestion next to their house. Those people are more, more properly characterized as NIMBYs because their concern is strictly uh, sort of personal for their own convenience. I, I've said this before, as far as the kind of public interest in NIMBY, so-called NIMBYism, you know, people uh, working together to protect a city asset like a park, as far as I'm concerned, the world would be a much better place today if more people had stood up to the things that are being proposed to alter the natural world around them. It stood up earlier and said, I'm sorry, not in my backyard. You know, this is our responsibility to protect, you know, these last vestiges of undisturbed nature. Nature can't get up and speak on its own. The wildlife can't get up to defend themselves on their own. Somebody has to speak for them. That's really not my notion of nimbyism. That's being civic-minded. That's absolutely a great point that we should define NIMBYism based on each individual case because certainly protecting green space is in a social public interest versus the greed of, of some housing developer. And, you know, in the city and in cities all across North America, there's high real estate prices in the major cities. We know that in Vancouver, Toronto, all over the place. And green spaces are getting put under risk these are desirable places. Port Moody is a desirable city. People want to live here. Um, you've been quoted on the website as saying you support moderate growth that protects the quality of life. What kind of policies need to be put in place to protect these green spaces and to also accommodate moderate growth? Well, you know, the, um, <clears throat> the city has uh, approved, uh, long before I got on the scene, um, approved a master plan for parks and recreation um, that requires to, that it, it, requ it has a ratio of how much parkland we need to be acquiring for the public 
as the community grows. So for every thousand additional people to the city, we should, if we want to keep the ratio of people to parkland, what it is today, which is sort of a wonderful ratio, it's a very green little city. We want to maintain that. Uh, we need to be adding two and a half hectares of, uh, of new parkland for every thousand additional people. So when we look at development projects, one of the conversations the city needs to be having, uh, needs even under its own um, master plans, must be having, uh, you know, how, how fast we can grow um, without losing uh, this, you know, the, the required ratio and this quality of life factor of, of, of parkland. So when I talk about moderate growth, I'm talking about growth where as we grow, we can look at factors not just like parkland, but also like roadway congestion because we're becoming a terribly congested little city, um, and recreational services and amenities. All the things that in combination make Port Moody one of the most desirable places in the Lower Mainland for people to live. We, we have to look at what that formula is today that's so wonderful and grow and expand the city because I do think some growth in the city is healthy and good. We should do it. But, but grow as fast as possible, but no faster, um, you know, as, as is possible while keeping everything in balance. So I'm all about balance. I'm not anti-growth. I'm not anti-development. But I'm, I, I try to watch like a hawk whether or not the city's having uh, clear, honest conversations about the implications of growth of every additional large development. How, what does that mean for these other quality of life factors? And, and making sure that we have an answer to how we keep things in balance. A first bathing of Shirin Yoko it's a Japanese yep. practice. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, forest bathing, but it points out that green space actually prolongs human life and, and quality of life uh, for residents. So it's very, very important. So you're talking about a, a kind of community mapping and looking at the When I see developments that are on parking lots or just vacant area where there's nothing there, but when I see them plowing through trees and hillside, it really breaks my heart. So... I guess what you're talking about is like a community mapping uh, and just we're looking at the ratios of people versus green space. That's correct. Um, the, um, no, we're going to have to look at that plan realistically uh, uh, over the next uh, few years while I'm on council um, because it's a very ambitious and robust plan. It's, it's in sync with a, many, a number of other cities that have similar ratios. So we're not wildly... You know, we're not wildly indulgent in the ratio of park to to resident. Um, but realistically, if if the city is going to meet its target, it's set in the community plan, which is to grow by about 50 percent, its population by 50 percent over the next quarter century. Well, then that's a lot of new acreage to add to as park in a community that doesn't have much land left. We're all going to take a sort of a hard look at what's realistically possible. Um, but to your point about things like forest bathing, it's exactly the context for why parks are so important. It's important, to, to my mind anyway, that people be able to access the parkland as ideally by foot or by bicycle. It doesn't require some long commute that people may not have cars to be able to make. Because if it requires a big, long car trip, 
most people just won't get out there for that regular immersion in a forest environment that we know from research, from clinical research, is very helpful to health and well-being. Um, I don't know um, if you're aware that in part of the debate or the future of Berkeley Park um, some time ago, David Suzuki, who had been... Um, had been an early advocate for the creation of Bertflin Park decades ago, got back into the conversation and uh, wrote a letter to the city, to the citizens of Port Moody last, uh, when was it, last fall, in which he, he urged people to protect Bertflin Park, citing the health and well-being benefits, such as forest bathing, referring specifically to this concept, which, as you know, in, in other countries, such as Japan, is actually covered by insurance. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's taken quite seriously, and, you know, I take it seriously, as does uh, the new mayor of, um, of Port Moody, as do other councillors like Steve Milani, who has also voted, and, and Amy Lubick, who are all, you know, new councillors voted in, in by the public in part because they share this concern for uh, green as a central part of quality of life in our city. Now, just just for the record, that right of way has been canceled. Am I correct? Last November, our council got together. We said, let's not just try and do one thing. Let's not just try and remove the right of way through the park. Let's also try and ensure that the future of Ioka Road does not include tons of new cars through inappropriate densification, residential densification at the far end of Ioka Road. So what we've done is try to put on track both those activities. Both of them are tied um, so that we, we'll actually remove the right-of-way through the park at such time in the coming months as we also make, make clear through a change in the community plan that we're not going to allow lots of extra new density at the end of Ioka Road. Is that clear? That, that's fabulous. And, and you know, you I, I think I should just go up there and start planting trees where that right away is. So, <laughs> <laughs> please do. <laughs> anyway, I, you're always encouraged, but just make sure that they're native species, not yet more invasive. Everyone, everyone listening to this can go plant a few trees on the weekend. With <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> talk talk first with our our um, our Parks and Rec department to see what what they might need. They, by the way, there are projects in which, of course, the community comes out uh, and helps. Uh, do planting and that sort of thing. So by all means, check out uh, what the city of Port Moody has going. Um, but uh, but the spirit of what you're saying is exactly right on. Well, th- I wanted to thank you for the time you took to, uh, for fighting for Bird Flynn Park. It's a magical, spiritual place and, and full of health and, and benefits for the community and for other communities that uh, live close by. So any last words? What would you say to people who feel under siege by developers who are rapid and, and, and are rapidly losing the green space in where they live? Uh, well, I guess my main advice is do not be intimidated, do not be daunted or discouraged. You will find very probably that if you raise your hand and say, wait a minute, I'm concerned about the impact on the quality of life that we have in our community, you're going to find a lot of other viewers to let others know, and you'll find a lot of other people raising their hand too. And when all these people sort of stand before council, the thing to remember about local city governments is, you know, they, they get a lot of contact uh, with 
with the development community, of course, and the development community is they're nice people trying to achieve their goals. And, you know, if the only people that the, the city ever really hears a lot from are the developers, they may come away with a misimpression that, um, you know, their interests are really the ones that, that, that the city needs to attend to and that the public is indifferent, uh, you know, at, at worst. Um, so it's very important in every one of these decisions that people who have concerns rally a public response. You know, I know in my, our city, uh, our council, we read every single email that people send in. Um, we pay a lot of attention to people who come to the public mic when we have council meetings. Um, and, you know, it, it's not just, uh, you know, one side of the, of the spectrum, if you will, that's listening. Everybody at the council you can see is listening. So don't be discouraged. Um, chin up, you, but you have to get out there and you have to mobilize because unless there's a strong community response, it's very tempting to get excited about all the good things that development can bring without paying attention to some of the issues uh, and challenges it will also bring. People who are concerned about protecting green need to be absolutely sure, take it on as their own responsibility to make sure that the conversation about green space is at the table when the city decides about future developments. That's my two-bit advice. Well, thank you for your time today, and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch again soon. Okay, thanks so much, Stuart. Thanks for the call. You have been listening to Conscious Landscapes. To hear previous episodes, to find out about forest bathing, or come on a journey on purpose with us, please visit eco-awakening.com. Bye for now.